Amen. Great job, wasn't it? Well, singing this morning was uh, exceptional, and I have to credit you folks with that. Y'all did a great job. I'm telling you, I love the old Red Cross, don't you? I I have it uh, uh, in uh, my office on a on a plaque, and uh, I'm telling you, that song, uh, yeah, well, she already knows it, I'm sure. Uh, that will be sung at my funeral if I have one. Oh, I know. I, I, I got you right off the bat. Somebody said, you mean he's not going to die? <laughs> not planning on it. I'm planning on going to the rapture. What about you? Okay, uh, that's another day. I'm so glad you're here. Well, you look good today. Tell somebody, look at your neighbor and say, uh-uh. Man, you're looking good. <laughs> if you don't have a neighbor, get one. <laughs> we have a great day coming up next Sunday. Of course, it is Easter Sunday, so we're celebrating the resurrection of the Savior, which is for a Christian every Sunday. But uh, next Sunday is a special day, so I want you to be uh, working hard on getting people to come, and we are um, somebody loves to play with my stuff. <laughs> my little granddaughter Caroline says, "Mine." In your bulletin, you should receive a door hanger that uh, says, Start Your New Beginning. Next Sunday, we as the Georgia Baptist uh, Mission Board people, we are inviting over a million people next Sunday. And we're going to try to squeeze them in Lion Creek. (laughs) That would be great, wouldn't it? But uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to reach a million people. So please... You have one of these in your bulletin. If you would take this and if you don't live in a neighborhood, just stop at one and put one on a door. If you live in a neighborhood, find a neighbor that you want to invite to church, take this by their house, they're not home, put it on their door. But please, and if you're not planning on it, now I'm not, this isn't, this isn't fussing at all. If you're not going to do this, just leave it, Okay. Just leave it in the seat because we're going to hang these on doors. We have 300 of them. We're going to hang these on doors this week. We also have these. We only have a few left. If you're going to mail this out, you need to bring it tomorrow to the office. And uh, Dale is mailing out almost 300 of these tomorrow. These are uh, flyers to go out. We mailed out out 5,000 of these already. So we've been busy at it. But... uh, uh, these are going out, so next Sunday is a big day. you got the seven people you're inviting. You're praying for them. We're going to end the service with praying for them. And so let's expect God to do a great thing next Sunday with, um, uh, like, like uh, somebody, I think John said, not an empty seat in the house. Uh, what would be good is, does anyone know a law enforcement official? If we could just get them to stand outside at the entrance, and if they pass, arrest them and bring them in here. 
If, if we, we'll just get this place full if we have to do it illegally. But no, seriously, invite, invite everybody you can. And of course, next Sunday is a big day. A lot of people come to church twice a year, Easter and Christmas. So, um, so you already have a, um, a good pool so start inviting people. I know you already have. Some of you have been telling me some great stuff about what uh, has been happening, and I'm excited about what God is doing in our ministry here. Just a great, great time. Yesterday, I have to tell you this, and I don't generally um, brag on men because ladies do so much more than we do. Well, that's the truth. You can, you can grunt, but ladies work hard. Yesterday, we had 31 men in brotherhood. Isn't that great? 31 men. One of them was a visitor, and he is here this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I don't, listen, you can't get any more excited than that. Men? Getting excited, bringing men. Oh, y'all, y'all know better than that. Y'all, y'all are just picking at me. If you've got your scriptures today, I'd like for you to turn to the Book of First Corinthians, chapter fifteen. Now, uh, when I first came here, I'm long-winded. And y'all know that. And so I asked them to put a clock up for me so I would at least know how long I was going over. And I, it wasn't intended for me to get cut off at 12 o'clock. And if you're expecting that, I'm sorry. But they put the clock up there for me, and I know what time it is. Right now, it is actually, oh, you fixed it. It was 6 o'clock just a little while ago. So... Uh, All right. If you would stand, please. I want you to look at one verse of Scripture. And this is, well, we're actually going to read three verses. Starting in verse number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Sometimes you will hear people say, What is the gospel? What is the gospel? In verse number 1, this is what he said. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached. The gospel is found in verses 3 and 4. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's it. That's the gospel. When we talk about preaching the gospel, if we preach a whole lot of doctrine, and we don't preach about Jesus being crucified, Buried and risen, we're not preaching gospel. So we're going to preach gospel. And I love the gospel, don't you? 
It's the gospel is the word that says good news. And I got some good news for you. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Hallelujah. What a tremendous, tremendous statement. I don't bring bad news to you. I'm not worried about what's happening in the world. I'm not worried about what's going to take place tomorrow. I know one thing. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. <laughs> That's enough for me, isn't you? <laughs> I, listen, I can go home right now and say, I preach today because I preach the gospel. Oh, I praise the Lord for this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great day. Thank you for these people that are here. Thank you for their worship so far. What an awesome, awesome worship time when we are identifying with your love for us. Thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake we pray, amen. You may be seated. Oh, man, 39 years I've been preaching resurrection messages. Thirty-nine. I figured out one day, Jimmy, how many messages we preached. I'm bumping right now at 6,000 in my lifetime that I'm preaching, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's amazing to me. And how many resurrection sermons and how many Easter sermons and how many Palm Sundays and how many services have I preached about this one issue? And it hit me the other day that I needed to preach it as simple as I could. Don't confuse it. Don't wrap it up. Just tell it like it is. And it hit me that I wonder what people are hearing and what kind of an impact it makes on their life. I'll ask you a question. How many of you, now some of you are too young for this, so you won't, if, if you were not living at the time, just ignore this. How many of you remember where you were when President Kennedy was assassinated? Raise your hand. Guess where I was? In the 10th grade, 2 o'clock period. When he killed at 2, 2 o'clock Eastern time, 2.30 somewhere in there, I was in history class. <laughs> of all places to be, I was in history class when President Kennedy was shot. I went home that night. My dad was a Republican, so he didn't like Kennedy. The people that laughed at that are Democrats. No, no. <laughs> My dad was a Republican. He didn't like Kennedy at all. For one thing, he was Catholic. Daddy was a Baptist. That made, that made everything wrong. And then he just didn't like him because I guess he was good looking. Was he good looking? Was Kennedy a good looking fellow? My dad thought he was just pure evil. I mean, when we sat at the table, and, 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 and politics were always a part of our family supper all the time. All the time. I grew up with politics. And I was up to here with hearing about Kennedy. So when he got killed, I was conflicted and I thought, Wait a minute. What should happen here? And that Friday night, he got killed on Friday, wasn't it? Friday. That Friday night, I was lying in my bed. I was looking out the window. Actually, we had a thunderstorm that night. And I remember that night, I determined I was going to be a patriot. I determined 
that night. I would serve my country. I would love my country. And for somebody in my country to kill. Now, my dad thought Johnson had something to do with it. He was Republican. But I made up my mind that night that I wanted to do something to make my country better that night. That's when I became a patriot. Because President Kennedy got shot. I became a patriot. That's when I started realizing what the anthem was about. That's why I started taking the pledge and being strong about it. So that happened to me because of President Kennedy. How many of you remember where you were on 9-11? All of you do. Yeah, yeah. Allison called me. She was at North Georgia in school. And she called me and said, Daddy, have you heard? I said, I hadn't heard a thing. And she told me, I had a man having a heart transplant that day, and I drove, had to drive to Atlanta, had to go to Emory. So I had to drive by the CDC, and it was just eerie. The sign on the interstate said, airport closed due to national emergency. i never forget it. Just, just eerie, eerie feeling. And, of course, Alan Jackson, I think it is, sings a great song about where were you, where were you on that day? And I think it impacted all of us. I don't think any of us are, are not changed by that day. It left something in us. And, and today when I stand, the, the national anthem plays, I stand and I, I do not forget those two towers that stood there. I don't forget it. I just don't forget it. Now, you might brush it under. I don't know. I don't know your politics. But I want you to know something. It makes my blood boil. Makes me angry, stirs me, fires me up. And so that happened to me because of 9-11. I got to thinking about it. How could something that happened 2,000 years ago, I wasn't there. I don't know all the details about it. I I don't know the atmosphere. I don't know the politics. I don't know what was going on in that time. Just what I read about. But how could that one event that happened on a little place outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha, how could it impact me the way it has? What in the world happened on that hill with that man that said he was the Messiah What happened that day that has so impacted my life? I mean, really, come on, let's get serious. That happened 2,000 years ago. It's not a big deal today, is it? You know, I I don't hear anybody protesting about Golgotha. I don't hear anybody talking about how mistreated Jesus was. I don't hear anybody talking about all the things that went on through that. I don't hear anybody protesting the fact that they they actually changed the calendar because of what he did. None of that seems to matter. So why in the world has it impacted my life so much? Why has it impacted your life? That's a question that really caused me to think. So I thought about what has the crucifixion and the resurrection done in my life why am I so wrapped up in it because I'll be honest with you 
as far as this little preacher boy standing here right now in front of you, there is nothing I care about any more than those two events that have happened in history. Whatever's happened in our country, whatever's happened in my life, really are insignificant compared to what happened in Jesus dying and being risen from the dead. Wow. So I thought I would talk to you the next couple of weeks, today starting with two things. The first one is that the vicarious aspect of the crucifixion impacts us. The vicarious aspect of the crucifixion. The second thing, next week we'll talk about the victorious aspect of the resurrection, how it impacts us. But today we want to talk about the vicarious aspect of the crucifixion. Now, let me give you, in case, I had a deacon one time, I used a big word in a deacon's meeting. I learned not to do that. I learned not to do it. He got some, I used the word capitulate. And I told the deacons, I said, I'm not going to capitulate on this. And he said, Deacon looked at me and he said, Preacher, I'm so mad at you. I said, for what? Because I won't give in? He said, is that what that means? (laughs) That's a big, big word. But vicarious just simply means substitute. It means a substitute. It actually means that someone substitutes for somebody else for their benefit. That's actually what the word means. That someone takes somebody's place for that person's benefit. And that's what Jesus did for me on Calvary's tree. He took my place. I should have died. You remember the old song? I should have been crucified. It was me. And yet he took my place. So that's the vicarious aspect of it. Let me give you three things that have to do with this vicarious part. And I think you'll find them not only uh, interesting, but I think you'll find them a reason that it has impacted your life as well as it has mine. The first one is that when he was taking our place, he took our sins on himself. He took our sins on himself. The Bible tells us, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He didn't know any sin. He didn't have any reason to die. He had never sinned. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that he was without sin. He was the high priest that had been touched with all the things that we had gone through, and yet he did them without sin. So now he is taking my place, although he didn't do anything wrong, he's taking my place for my sin, my blame. He didn't have to die, but he took them for me. Now, the first thing I want you to see is that he took my place. Where did he take my place? Listen to this. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. This is what he said. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Wow. His place was my place. The tree was my tree. When we sing about a hill called Mount Calvary and an old rugged cross, I think about 
what Jesus did that day hanging on that tree. Now, the first thing I want you to think about is that he created that tree. Wow. He created the tree, and he created it for blessings. How many of you are tree huggers? It's okay. That's all right. We're not going to kick you out because you love trees. I personally don't care anything about them. I hate raking. I hate gumballs. Hey, listen. First seminar I'm going to in heaven. First seminar. Gumball seminar. Why did you make a a sweet gum tree? What in the world? You can't burn it. You can't eat it. You can't do anything with the gumball. Why did you make a a sweet gum tree? Anyway, I I chased a rabbit there. The truth is, is that tree was made by him. And it was made for me. I should have been crucified. He took my place on the tree. There's a verse. You got your scriptures. You want to look at this verse. This is a strange verse. This is really a weird verse. It's really weird. Yet you, you, you've quoted it all your life. Listen to what it says. It's Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Weird verse. It says, for the wages of sin, the payment for sin... The cost for sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. I should have been crucified. I'm the one that sinned. I'm the one that did it. Do you know why it impacts me? Because I've got a lot of sin that put him on that tree. Can I get an amen? Don't get self-righteous on me. We all did it. He died in our place. Second of all, he took our penalty. Listen to this verse. This is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9. A great, great verse. He took our penalty, and this is the way. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that that he, by the grace of God, now get this one. This is King James Version, but get this. Should taste death. For every man. Wow. That <laughs> just absolutely overwhelms me. How many in here, besides Dave, have ever died? Anybody? Nobody in here has ever died. I got my hair cut yesterday. Can you tell? And the lady cuts my hair. We were talking about death. And we were talking about how that we are not ready for death because we don't talk about it. We don't sit around the supper table saying, you know, uh, I'm going to die in a couple days. We just don't do that. And if you start talking it, what do people tell you to do? I don't want to hear it. Don't talk about it. So we don't embrace death. It's just a part of us. We don't embrace it. We don't talk about it. We only have to deal with it when it happens to us. We only have to deal with it when it slaps us in the face. But I want you to see what he did. He tasted death for us. What does that mean? How many of y'all like uh, the Sam's hot dog? 
best five-star meal you'll get is a hot dog at Sam's. Especially when they got the onions out. I'm kidding. Listen, if you had a hot dog at Sam's, bless your heart, we're not expecting you to live a whole lot. (laughs) The truth is this, you know what it tastes like. Oh, I love, I love a Sunday with wet walnuts. How many know what I'm talking about? I love a Sunday with wet walnuts. That's good stuff. Wet walnuts and chocolate syrup, not fudge, chocolate syrup. Now, nobody wants to do that right. That's why I wish that I'd brought some people from the 50s with me. I love a chocolate nut Sunday. I don't care where it comes from. I just love it. I know what it tastes like. And when I sit there and eat it, I enjoy it. I experience it. Sandra says that I have a love affair with my food. (laughs) I love it. It is delicious. I'm eating one right now. Y'all don't know it. (laughs) I'm eating one right now. Oh, it is so good. And especially if a little bit of syrup gets on your, over here, that's when it's really good. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what he did that day. I don't know what he did that day. But I know he tasted my death. He ate my experience for me. He took all of my experience on himself that day. Everything that I ever did wrong, he took for me that day. The reason it has impacted me so much is because I know how much he tasted that day. Now, some of you sweet ladies, y'all don't have but a few sins. So y'all, y'all can't enjoy it. But I got a boatload. Do you hear me? I have, I have a boatload of sins that he died for that day. He ate them for me. He tasted of my death that day. Don't ever get over Hebrews 2.9. Don't ever let it go from you that he tasted your death. So, he took our sins. Second of all, he took our suffering. Donald did not know my sermon. He had no clue. But in Isaiah 53... He tells us how he took our suffering. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Some of you in here are grieving today. And I'm so sorry for you. Oh, if we could take your grief, if we could take your hurt, we would take it. But you bear that grief and we're sorry. But I want you to know something. I can't taste your grief, but he did. That day. He bore our griefs and our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But, I love that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You see, he took the pain... On that day, my pain, what I should have suffered. One of the things that I 
know that we have such difficulty with is how God can forgive somebody for doing something we think is so awful. That's hard for us. How, we can, how God can forgive somebody that's done something that we think is just a horrible, horrible sin, and yet he forgives that sin. The reason that we have trouble with that is because we can't understand all of the grief and the sorrow that he bore that day because it was so tremendous. Now, we want him to forgive and taste our sin and forgive us for it. But when it comes to those big things that other people do, uh, now, wait a minute. Understand this, that when he died on the cross, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 that he died. I'm going to show my true colors here. He died for the sins of the whole world. He did not die for the elect. He died for the sins of the whole world. He died for your sin. And if you're here today and you've never trusted him as your Savior, guess what? He died for your sin. He died for your sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So know this, that he took your shame, he took your sorrow, he bore the chastisement of your peace. Now, I did not suffer very much when I did wrong. I didn't suffer very much. Every once in a while, my daddy would say, boy, I'm going to beat you to death. Anybody have my daddy? Huh? How many men, how many, how many of y'all, men and women, how many, how many had a daddy like that? I'm going to beat you to death. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I heard somebody say, not me. <laughs> the truth is that I didn't suffer for my wrong. You know, I always had a way of kind of getting out of it. My dad was preaching one Sunday night right in the middle of church. And I'm, I'm talking to my buddy. And daddy says, David, I want you to quit talking. As a matter of fact, I want you out of here. Get out of this church. And I had to get up and walk out of the church in front of everybody. I'll never forget the humiliation that he bore. Because <laughs> everybody was mad at him for jumping on me. Listen, I want you to know something. I did not pay for what I did. I don't know the anguish that my sin caused. I know it hurt my mother and daddy. I know it hurt some people around me. I know that I've hurt some people. I've destroyed some things. I've been a bad person. But I never paid for it. That day on Calvary's tree, 2,000 years ago, he paid the price for my sin by bearing my pain. I never had to suffer for it. You say, preacher, I, uh, I paid for my dues. Uh, I doubt it. I doubt it seriously. I doubt that you paid for what you've done because he took our sins. Now look, he took our pain and then it became personal. Paul said this, a great, great verse. He said, there is something that's worthy of all acceptation. And that is this. 
Christ Jesus came to save sinners. He took it very (coughs) personal. Do you know that he died just for you? You remember that old song, when he was on the cross. You think you were? Uh Uh-uh. That day, 2,000 years ago plus, Jesus Christ died on the cross for David Hammonds. He died for me. So, did he die for you? Sure he did. The reason that it has impacted me to the degree it has is that not only did he take it personal, but I have taken it personal. He died for me. Last of all, he became our Savior. He took our sins. He took our suffering. There is a uh, story. Wilbur Chapman used to tell this story. I thought it was such a great story. He said that uh, a mother had uh, a little girl, and she was uh, so afraid the little girl would find out what happened that she wore gloves all the time. She wore gloves. She didn't want her daughter to see her hands. One day, the little girl walked in the room, in the bedroom, and her mother had the gloves off. And she said, Mom, what happened to your hands? And she said, I didn't want you to know, but this is what happened. You've heard the stories about the fire that happened to our house. Well, that happened when you were a little baby in the crib. And as soon as the fire broke out, I ran into your room to rescue you. I got you out of the crib, wrapped you in a blanket, and I tossed you out the window to a friend who was standing at the ground. But as I was trying to get out, my hands were burned, and I tried to hold on to the trellis, and it tore my fingers and my hands. And so the doctor did the best he could, but my hands are scarred. Because I saved you. My hands are scarred. Because I saved you. The little girl went running to her mother. Fell in her lap. Started kissing the hands and said. Oh what beautiful hands you have. (laughs) Can Can you imagine the day that you see the Savior? And you tell him, oh, what beautiful hands you have. He took our suffering. He took our sin. Last of all, he became our Savior. What does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us that in Colossians chapter number 1, that he has redeemed us and he rescued us. Now, the reason this thing has impacted me so much is that I know he paid the price for my salvation. And he redeemed me from my old life. 
Yeah, I don't know where my handkerchief got to. I lose it all the time. Thank you so much. What, what just uh, amazes me, what amazes me is how he paid such a price for me and what he did in it. it it's tremendous. It's just tremendous. And I'm, I know I'm over my uh, time. I'm, I'm going to do something I, I just think is, is good to do. I'm going to ask the two, probably maybe the two stoutest fellas. No, not quite, but close to it. Bo, Scott, I want you to come up here. Now, th- th- these are what you call strapping fellas. Make sure neither one of you packing. <laughs> All right. Now, Bo uh, is my son-in-law, so he gets to be the devil. <laughs> Scott it is dressed real neat. So Dr. Stewart says, since you got on time, you can be Jesus. All right? <laughs> now I want you to look what he did. This is amazing. Colossians says this. That when he redeemed me, he delivered me from the darkness. Now, what that means is this. When I got saved, when Christ died on the cross, on that hill, I was hanging around with the devil and his buddies. That's who I hung around with. Ephesians chapter 2 says that I walked according to the prince and power of the air. Oh, Mr. Mean here. Now, he had me. It's okay for him to hug me because he's my son-in-law. He had me. I'm in him. I'm locked up in him. It is nothing but what we are doing is partying hard. But it brought us nothing but pain. Brought us nothing but sorrow. Jesus said, I'll take you pain. I'll take you sorrow. And I'll release you. And then he says, I'm not going to leave you there. Then you've got to come over here. Now, he's got me, and Jesus is going to rescue me. <laughs> hey, y'all don't get too serious. <laughs> I want you to look what happened. When Jesus saved me, this is what he did. Not only did he forgive, <laughs> glory to God, not only did he forgive my sins, but he he took me away from the power of darkness that was tearing my life apart. He transformed me. He delivered me into the hands of the Savior who now lives in me, helps me to live right. I now am in this group over here. Uh, some of y'all are over here with me. The truth is this. Thank you, fellas. Did, did a good job, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> The truth is this, and I'm going to close. He redeemed me, became my Savior, paid the price for me, and then He rescued me, and now we have this ongoing relationship of Him being my Savior. He never left me. He hasn't forsaken me. He stayed with me all these years. He is my Savior, and that's why... It has impacted me the way it has.
I will never, ever be able to get over the crucifixion. Never. For the rest of my life, I will remember Calvary. I forgot a lot about the day Kennedy was killed. And I've even forgot some stuff about 9-11. But I will never, ever forget this day that Jesus died for me. Never. He gave his all that day. I can't explain this in a way that I think will really rivet you. I wish I could. Because I think you have to take it so personal that he did it for you. But I remember this story about this Chinese farmer. He had built his farm up on the hill. And it was overlooking the bay. One day his rice, rice fields were tender and they were, they were dry and, and he was standing in his fields and he heard this rumble. It was an earthquake. And he looked down into the bay and he saw the waters in the bay starting to swell up. And he knew that there was a tidal coming. He knew that there was a tidal coming. And he looked down in the valley below his hilltop and all of his friends were down there working in their fields. We know it as a tsunami, but it was ready to happen, and those people were going to die. And the farmer said, if, if I don't do something, all of my friends will die. So the story goes that he took a match and set his rice fields on fire so that they would respond to the fire and save their life. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you so you would not have to die. Wow. He gave everything for you. When is it going to impact you? When is it going to impact you? If it has already, then maybe you need to be doing something about it. But if it hasn't impacted you, if you've never really taken this seriously, my prayer is that today you'll say, you know, this is bigger than I thought it was. You know, this is a little stronger than I ever imagined. I've been kind of casual about this thing. I enjoy church. I enjoy singing. I enjoy the stuff of church. But you know, this thing just hasn't been that serious to me. Today, my deepest prayer is that it will impact your life to the degree that it will change your life forever today. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I invite you to trust Him. If you're here and you've been a casual Christian, I invite you to dedicate yourself to Him today. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, there are people in this room that have not really thought much about this. It's been a good idea, warm thought, but Lord, their life's never been impacted. Would you touch them today in a very special way? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.